please be aware that this is for professional investors only. Good morning. It's Wednesday, the 16th of September, 2020, and it's time for another Morning Expresso. Before I start, a couple of things. Below, you'll see some buttons. If you would like uh, simultaneous translations, then we have translators uh, talking as we speak now, and you can select that by the drop-down menu below. You can also send us your questions. There's a Q&A button uh, that you can select, or you can send us uh, emails uh, via Nordia Funds at nordia.com. So that's it. Uh, this morning we are going to start uh, as usual with our macroeconomist and I have again our senior macro strategist Dr. Sebastian Galli with me this morning. Good morning. Oh, I think you're on mute. One second. Good morning. Hi, hello. How are you? Very fine, very fine. Good, good. The weather's sun shining. No reason not to be fine. So my first question was actually regarding currencies because obviously I'm looking a lot at sterling euro and I've noticed the euro is getting much stronger, but it's actually getting stronger in terms of dollars as well. And I just wondered uh, if you could explain to us a little bit about why we're seeing this euro strength right now. Sure. I mean, the 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 way to look at the euro is actually in PPP term, in a sense, in long term sense, it's not strong. It's mostly fairly valued versus the dollar. It is strong versus emerging markets. And part of that reason is that we're seeing a lot of money going into China, also going to Russia. And as that money goes in, it's converted into from dollars uh, into euro. So that's not exactly the, the way it happens, but it basically pressures the euro dollar higher. And we've seen this happen many times when emerging markets do well, euro dollar does well. Why? Because there are not a lot of people taking directional trades in euro dollar. There are some, but the ones who are forced to are these reserve managers. So at least from a currency perspective, a good time to go and visit the US. It, it uh, certainly is, yeah. <laughs> um, but how, so how high can this go? I mean, the euro dollar strength, you know, is it a good time or perhaps should we wait a bit? So the way the ECB views it is basically through its impact on inflation. And um, Christine Lagarde this morning upgraded the view that it is having an impact on inflation in the sense that it's a, it's a negative, uh, negative pressure. There's a lot of things that the ECB can do without going to more negative interest rate, which is what some people are speculating on. And they can basically uh, make the rates of China, Russia at uh, what do we call the ACB and the NCB, the national central banks, more negative. Uh, they can penalize deposits of sovereigns uh, in euros with banks to make them less attractive in a ratio we call the LCR, the liquidity coverage ratio, there's a lot they can do, but it is still going well in emerging markets. That means there's still a significant amount of flows going through. And that means your dog probably will head higher than this. 120, 130 is probably the top of the range that you can uh, be looking for. Wow, okay. So um, something else, because you know, in the Nordics, obviously we have a particular insight into what's going on in the Nordics being a Nordic bank. Um, in terms of currency, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about what you're seeing there right now. 
Sure, and one thing what one should consider is Nordea is also a group, so we actually do, uh, particularly on the Nordics, uh, talk to other parts of the Druid groups to have an insight into it. And the Norwegian economy is just a rock solid type of economy. Uh, it is just built very, very well. Uh, it has a lot of wealth which is available if it's uh, needed. And Inflation there is, uh, as measured by what we, we call the ATE, uh, is elevated at 3.7%. So there's a lot of reason to expect that eventually the Norwegian Central Bank will actually hike. It's one of the very few central banks that will eventually hike in the coming year. And that means that the Norwegian Corona is particularly attractive versus the, the Euro. So we expect basically uh, some more appreciation of the Naki, but as a market also, also, it's very attractive. And of course, we have a range of uh, NOC denominated funds, equity fixed income and short-term fixed income available in the Nordea One uh, umbrella. So um, if that's something you want to look at, then uh, there's some opportunities there perhaps. Great, okay, so we have um, our key macro takeaways. Uh, we have the takeaway slide coming up. So just to reiterate, uh, we expect Euro dollar to continue to strengthen. Don't book that US trip quite yet, hold back a bit. Um, and yes, then we, the Norwegian Krona as well, uh, we think it, this should appreciate versus the Euro, but of course that depends a little bit on, on oil and that I guess is the risk. Um, you know, if oil prices collapse again, then of course that has an impact on the Norwegian Krona. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that summarizes pretty much uh, our view. Currencies are typically not very attractive in G10 markets, but here you can see two of the interesting outliers. And uh, within emerging markets, it's far more interesting because we get these flows going to emerging markets and then the resistance from the central banks, which makes these carry trade even more uh, interesting, of course, risky by definition. Uh, but there are opportunities both in emerging markets as well as in G10 currencies. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Sebastian. Uh, it's great to see you and uh, look forward to seeing you again next week. Now we move into the main part of this morning's Morning Espresso, and I have two guests for you this morning. Our first guest is Henning, Henning Pedberg, and Henning is co-portfolio manager of our Global Climate and Environment Fund. So Henning, good morning. Are you there? Good morning, Paul. How are things in London? <laughs> Oh, good. Yeah, we've got unusually sunny weather, so uh, we're enjoying that a lot. Uh, here as well. I feel like doing some gardening with this nice sun out there, but yeah. Uh, stick, stick to the day job. I think that's more important. <laughs> um, then we have also with us, we have Mikaela Zirova. Mikaela, are you there? Hello, Paul. I'm here. Hey, good morning. Mikaela, um, I was, you know, when I introduce people, I've, of course, I have to get the, the titles correct. And uh, I was looking on our intranet. Uh, for, for your official job title and it says master expert I think you've got the best title in the whole of Nordea tell us what a master expert is gosh uh, I kind of always hope for an empress of doom but it doesn't seem we have that on the uh, in the organizational chart so um, master expert I think that uh, it is something quite Nordea specific I haven't seen it anywhere else and I think it you are supposed to know what you're doing which I hope I do <laughs> So what is your official title then? Uh, I, as of a couple of weeks ago, I am officially head of ESG products and research. Excellent. Okay, so perhaps that leads on nicely to the, to the first question, because uh, I guess technically the two of you uh, work on separate teams, but actually in reality, you work very, very closely together. Um, 
obviously Henning, you're the, the portfolio manager, the uh, one of two uh, for the for the climate uh, and environment fund, and uh, Michaela, you're the responsible investment analyst. Um, so perhaps you could just talk to us a little bit about you know how the collaboration that you two have and how you work together. Yes. Um, yeah, as you know, I'm uh, sitting in the fundamental equities team, a uh, diverse team of, of international Copenhagen, and Michaela is, uh, is part of the responsible investment team. And um, uh, the, um, uh, our, our job is picking the right stocks and, and trying to find outperforming shares. And, and I think here uh, ESG is becoming more and more important. And, and um, I would say uh, we always look at all information, but um, it, it just helps to have somebody who also looks at the dark side, uh, at the dark side of companies, and and goes where where we maybe don't go all the time. And I think that's something that uh, that that we try to integrate from the beginning in our investment process. I would very much subscribe to that. Uh, I do hope. Uh, all right, you see now that the Empress of Doom joke was quite apt. So I do do look at the dark side as well. But I think that what <laughs> makes our relationship quite strong is that. Uh, we try also to look at the opportunities from that dual perspective. So uh, we are helped by the fact that we sit quite close so we can have very robust discussions. And what I try to contribute is I try to find both the downside and the upside as it would look from a sustainability perspective. Great, so in theory, that sounds like a fantastic idea, but um, theories don't always work out in practice. So. Perhaps you could elaborate a bit on um, how a typical company assessment looks like uh, from both perspectives. Yes, so uh, we of course look for finding finding outperforming stocks, and here uh, it's key for us to combine the the search for climate solution providers with uh, a solid bottom-up framework of analyzing and then also evaluating valuation of a company. Um, uh, this we do in the fundamental equities team and then supported also by the ESG uh, analysts uh, in the responsible investment team. And uh, our approach is uh, to, um, to look at the, 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 the fundamentals of the company in terms of what is the solution, how does it help society, what's the impact here, but then classically what are the business fundamentals. So uh, what's the competition, uh, how's the company growing, what is the, the margin and return profile. We try to forecast the detailed uh, cash flows into the future. Um, we then also look at the company's um, uh, um, uh, strategy, their, their, their innovation uh, uh, cap capacity, and, and all that combined goes into the detailed modeling of the cash flows. Um, in the end of the day, all the strategic analysis combined with the ESG analysis leads to how we fade returns in the future. Um, and and a, a company with, with better returns will, will um, have a lower fading of returns while a company with worth, worse um, uh, strategic and ESG positioning will, will see the returns erode much quicker into the future. So it impacts also valuation. Mm -hmm. um, Michaela, maybe you can shed some light on what you are um, um, providing here on the ESG analysis into the fundamental analysis. Very happy to. So our assessment consists of two main parts, the business model, if you like, and everything else. On the business model side, we conduct an analysis of how does it contribute in some way to the sustainable development goals, which we use as a broad guideline to what a positive contribution to society might look like. There, we look into whether the sustainable parts are what drives the growth and whether that's also where the capex goes. 
on the environmental, social and governance side, uh, there we deploy uh, our usual toolbox of capturing company impacts. We look at uh, the life cycle of the product or services. We look at how the company is run. We look into whether it's a good competitor uh, uh, and whether it treats its customers fairly. And on the social side, uh, we also have a look into um, its key risks, such as its workforce, the way it handles data, and whether there are any issues uh, related to the product quality and service. We hope that gives us a pretty complete picture, both of the sustainability contribution and of uh, the impacts that the company creates uh, in, the way, uh, in the way of getting there. Yeah, it makes sense. It sounds like both of you have got pretty comprehensive list that you both bring to the, to, to the portfolio um, and integrate that in that investment process and, and the scoring model that you're, you're using. Um, one other major element of your collaboration, though, is the engagement with companies as well um, in the portfolio. So perhaps that's something that we could touch on now and you could explain to us, you know, how important the assessment is and, and how you go about engaging. Yes. Um, yeah, engagement is, is, is one uh, important path for us to also um, impact the companies. So, so to, to, to help them influence them in the right direction, so to say. Um, um, but obviously it's also a tool for us to build conviction in the investment case, because we are in a very close dialogue with the company and we see how they, they respond to, to, to certain issues and risks. Um, maybe we can take one example. So, um, we have invested in a company called Republic Services, and this is a waste management company in the US. And um, as you probably know, waste is a major problem across the world. Uh, here in Denmark, we are relatively good at sorting waste, um, but we are still not perfect. Also not when it comes to recycling and other issues. In the UK, you have similar to the US, big problems with, um, with the amount of waste and where to put it. So it doesn't yeah. go into landfill or into recycling facilities. And uh, here we need solutions and, and uh, a company like Waste, uh, like Republic Services in the US, um, of course, they should first of all encourage their customers to avoid waste, but then it's about recycling it, reusing it and, and handling the whole process more efficiently. And, and this is essential in uh, waste management to improve uh, uh, the outcomes for society, both environmental and also um, um, in terms of social and health issues, um, a player in the U.S. So it definitely has also some some impact. Um, and historically, the company had a pretty poor ESG profile. So it was it was actually so bad that in the old days, when we when we also relied more on external providers for the ESG um, analysis, it was rated C uh, by certain providers, so that we couldn't invest. It was below our standards. Um, so when, the, when, when we wanted to look at it again uh, last year, then uh, basically um, um, we, we took a meeting with the CFO and here um, Michaela was also joining in from the beginning because we knew that the company was, uh, has historically been on the poor, poor end of the spectrum in terms of ESG. Um, and I think here maybe Michaela can talk a little bit more about the, the, the process. But our first impression was that the company is, 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 has, has moved a long way, has improved quite a lot. And, and our expectations going into the meeting were, were positively surprised so, so much that we actually thought that the ESG issues are not uh, hindering our investment. And we actually decided to then in the following uh, period to invest in the company, but also then follow up 
with uh, more uh, detailed kind of uh, um, analysis on the different ESG issues that the company definitely also has. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, I would absolutely agree with Henning. That's a business model with a lot of negative impacts, but also with very impressive management of these impacts. And to a certain extent, we sort of caught them on an upwards trajectory when it came to the impact management. So um, I actually uh, first uh, uh, had a very positive view of the company even before the MSCI upgrade. And that was directly as a result of our conversations uh, with the head of sustainability and also with the management team. Uh, there were two things there. Uh, and I think... Uh, uh, let, let's, uh, let's start first with the management team. What I was looking for is uh, that uh, very often in companies you see that the sustainability function is well-meaning but not organizationally supported and the management team does uh, their own thing with their own priorities. Here uh, I saw very strong evidence that both are on the same page and that uh, when the company says that sustainability has a strategic importance there is good evidence to support that in terms of where the capex goes, in terms of their spending priorities, in terms of the projects they take on. Uh, the other thing that gave me a lot of reassurance was that we had a very honest discussion in particular with the head of sustainability of what the challenges ahead are. Uh, so for example, the, the research provider had downgraded them quite severely for not having a target for the reduction of toxic emissions from their landfills. And uh, I wanted to understand why is that. And uh, we had a very good uh, walk through, through all of the moving parts that come into such a target. Uh, what is the weather, for example, because that influences what comes out of your landfill, how much rain is falling, what goes into the landfill. So a lot of moving parts. Uh, and, and the upshot of this is, look, we haven't done enough science in order to have a robust target, but we're figuring it out. We, we will get there when, when we've done our homework, and that I really liked. Uh, the other thing, really, really strong differentiator, Republic Services, uh, the only American uh, U.S. Um, waste management provider to have a science-based target for uh, CO2 emission reductions. Why is this so important? We are very supportive of the science-based targets uh, initiative because this way we know the company hasn't just set something that will be easy to achieve, but it has actually set a target where uh, we have some corroboration that the, the achievement of this target will contribute to getting to the goals of the Paris Agreement, to keeping to under two degrees uh, in terms of global warming. Mm. So this is really, really great if you can get it. Uh, so Thomas and Henning were already invested a little, uh, for quite a while when the MSCI upgrade came in. Uh, and I have to say uh, uh, it was a nice moment and a nice uh, told you so, because <laughs> this way you can see that uh, the external perception of the company is catching up with our internal one. Uh, for going forward, I'd really like them uh, to uh, set that uh, toxic gas emissions uh, reduction target. And I'd also really like to see what can they do in order to increase the recycling ratio. Some of the problems with that ratio are structural, but that's a very clever company with some very good uh, um, initiatives in place to tackle that problem. So I'm quite curious to see what they can do. Great. And, and these are metrics as well that we do our monthly reporting, uh, quarterly reporting on, I beg your pardon. So um, things like CO2, um, benchmark versus the portfolio these are things that we report back on super important and we spent a lot of time um, doing that so if you haven't seen those reports then contact your account manager um, because they're really well done I 
I've been out with a lot of fund managers um, and uh, everyone has these great stories and, and everything's positive and this is how, how I added alpha, but it doesn't always go um, well uh, for sure. Uh, so I just wondered, have you got an example where perhaps the engagement didn't work out quite as you planned um, and perhaps also explain to us, you know, who, who's, wins here i mean who has the upper hand is it the portfolio manager who wants to keep the stock because of course it's you know it's going to add alpha to his portfolio or is it the esg analyst who has a veto and says no we we can't we can't include this of course the portfolio manager always wins that's, <laughs> that's uh, the truth so in life sure. But uh, <laughs> no, but to be honest, we are we are very constructive in in, in talking through these issues. And for us, uh, I mean, the, the ones with the better argument uh, wins. So so in that case, um, we are listening and and we we will, we won't ignore anything that is material, uh, especially for the investment case, because it will of course uh, backfire in a negative way. Um, we have, uh, of course, also had a few examples in the past uh, that, that where kind of uh, you can take more a negative view or where there have been ne negative issues um, so much that actually we have a case where we have also sold the, sh the shares in the end of the, the, the process as a result of the ESG and engagement process. Um, this was uh, um, uh, in, in our holdings in Bangi, that's a large um, agricultural uh, processor in, um, uh, that's operating globally. And uh, our case was that the company could very much help to provide solutions to improve uh, traceability of uh, agricultural commodities and, and to also, also offer uh, clients um, um, uh, better sustainability practices because they had such a big footprint in the market. Um, the company, again, looked very, very uh, good on the surface when it comes to ESG, external providers rated them highly, but our internal guys, they from the beginning were a little more skeptical and there were some issues going on, for example, around deforestation, uh, especially in Latin America. And here we, were, we, we, we got, a, got a little red flag from our um, 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 uh, uh, responsible investment team. Uh, that, was, that was a colleague from, from Michaela Avinda that started that, that process. Um, and I think maybe Michaela can can talk more about the details. But our 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 process was that when we when we got uh, not satisfying responses from the company, and then there was on top a management change, which also um, kind of um, um, de-emphasized the sustainability agenda. Then our our outcome in the end was that we showed, sold the shares in the portfolio, and this was mainly due to the ESG and engagement uh, process. Yeah, happy to add to that and really all credit to Avinda and to his team, uh, the active ownership team for highlighting these issues. To be fair, even at the business model uh, side, Bungie uh, has a lot of risks. Operating in regions that are extremely vulnerable to de deforestation, we are talking the Brazilian Amazonas here, and uh, as a large-scale agric uh, agricultural uh, operator, you are going to have very heavy, very differentiated impacts that are difficult to manage. And then the question for us is, if you do have this type of impact, this type of footprint, can we really say that you're doing enough to compensate? And uh, of course, with, with uh, that degree of risk, uh, the, the threshold would be obviously higher. And uh, we had a call with the company, both on with the Vendors team and both uh, on the side of uh, um, 
and, and both of the, on the side of uh, the research and products uh, uh, cluster. And we kind of, both sides of uh, uh, our capacities got the, got the same view. And it was that the focus is very definitely slipping. Uh, we couldn't see where Bungie does more than a, a comparable company would do. We couldn't see where they do, uh, where they go the extra mile to mitigate the extra risk. And uh, there were also a few inconsistencies in the story that basically didn't pan out with the information we had from other sources. So we had, uh, coming back to what Henning said earlier, it is absolutely possible to use these conversations as a proxy for management quality. And we got the very clear idea that sustainability and uh, managing the impacts is in no way a prior priority to the same degree that it had pre previously been. And we also couldn't see uh, something that would uh, differentiate them in terms of practices to an extent that would justify for us taking the extra risk. And we all agreed that this profile is not entirely consistent with the solutions provider. And uh, yeah, I yeah. wouldn't say that uh, our process is very differentiated. We are not trying to just tick boxes. So uh, you're always going to have cases that are more complex than others, but equally in this case, sometimes uh, you just, the complexity boils down to a very simple decision and you walk away. Yeah. So, so hopefully everyone that's, that's watching this is, is getting the, the message that, you know, you work very, very closely together and, and it's very much a discussion and, and looking at companies from different perspectives and adding value basically for the end investor at the, at the end of the day and, uh, and the portfolio as a whole. So, so that's great. Um, in addition to the individual uh, engagements that, that you're working with, um, we also share the knowledge that we're building up over time with various various initiatives um, like the Climate um, Action 100 Plus, um, Task Force on Climate Related Financial Disclosure, just two examples. But so how do these engagements differ from the individual ones that you also just um, uh, explained just now? Henning, I'm happy to take that one if you like. Sure, um, just go uh, ahead. <laughs> <laughs> So I guess uh, one big differentiator is uh, when it comes to what we just explained, in many cases, Henning and Thomas are actually the ones that initiate. So the impetus is not coming from an initiative or from external sources. It comes because uh, they came across something uh, in the investment work and they thought, okay, this we need to know more about. We need to see if we can do something about this. That's a big difference. And then uh, the engagement that happens in the products and research team also differs in, the, uh, in that it is very closely tailored to the, uh, to the uh, investment case. So it doesn't necessarily need to follow a broad agenda. It can be uh, very closely constructed on what's relevant for a specific company. Henning, do you, anything to add to that? Um, yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, one example is uh, is also uh, Linde that we have held in the portfolio for, I think, yeah, almost since inception, nine years or something, um, in the in the product. And 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 Linde is an industrial gases company. Their solutions helps, especially in asset-heavy industries, to avoid emissions. So if you think about steel, cement, uh, glass production, uh, the 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 world still needs these 
these materials, but we can we need to produce them in a, in a, in a more sustainable way. And here, Linde is a is a is a provider of a solution. Um, historically, we have had no major ESG issues, but then um, a couple of years ago, they merged with one of the largest competitors globally, Prexair, a U.S. company, and I think that reinforce some more um, um, scrutiny also on the ESG side from, from, our, from our perspective because it was just a new company coming together and we needed to make sure that, uh, that they are on the right path uh, that they've also been on in the, in, in, the, in the previous years. And I think there Michaela has also um, um, uh, done a great job of, uh, of actually encouraging the company to, um, um, uh, to live up to the highest standards. Quick add-on to that, actually. Thanks for mentioning Linda uh, uh, Henning, because I think this is a great example of a company that we've approached from both angles, both from the investment-specific PM-led angle that Henning just described, but it's also included in our TCFD engagement. So this is uh, something that we've done uh, Nordia internally, but targeted to the highest emitters across portfolios. We've encouraged those companies to uh, adopt the task force for climate disclosures standards and to inform investors more granularly about uh, what are the risks and advantages of uh, their business model. And there Linda sits in a very special place in the value chain because as ha Henning described, they are a solution provider but making these things, uh, that is a massive production operation that has a cost in CO2. Uh, and Linda, um, have a very, very good reporting function in place. They put a lot of emphasis of uh, creating an accurate picture of their footprint. So when they, so when we encourage them, okay, how about the TCFD? How about joining that? We think it adds a, a lot of value and provides very useful information to the markets. We're really happy to report back that Linda basically took our feedback, run with it, and earlier this year, they published a TCFD alignment, uh, more or less uh, mirroring uh, our recommendations. So that really is a case that has it all. It has uh, the solution profile. It has the PM-led engagement. It's also part of uh, the wider work we do. And uh, crucially, they also have uh, the responsiveness uh, for, uh, to invest the input that uh, allows them to listen and to adapt uh, more quickly than their competitors. Excellent. Well, I mean, this morning's been really fascinating insight into specific company examples, which is great. Um, so thank you very much to both of you for your time. Unfortunately, we are getting to the end now. So uh, I'm going to pull up the key takeaways. Uh, again, you know, if there's anything you wish to add at this point, then just uh, feel free. But um, just like the dedicated ESG stars, um, the global climate and environment strategy has a dedicated responsible investment analyst. And um, I think that, you know, what differentiates Nordea from perhaps uh, some of our competitors is that very much that integrated process that we have where we have these teams working alongside each other to, to you know, the power of two uh, becoming one sort of thing. So um, that's super important. Um, as a responsible investor, obviously we've, we foster corporate improvement and uh, that could lead to higher convictions. It could lead to lower convictions. Um, but, uh, you know, generally what we're doing here is we're raising awareness uh, for ESG topics um, among the companies that we're, that we're investing in and working with. And finally, um, you know, the engagement has different dimensions. We have, can come to different uh, outcomes, as was just pointed out. 
and but what we really try to do is engage um you know not trying to just ignore what's what's going on out there but really trying to improve and work with the companies um and have a, a discourse with the companies to improve things and make a, a better and, and more sustain, sustainable society as a result that's it from me uh, anything just closing remarks maybe um maybe just a couple of quick, quick points uh I guess our goal with the global climate product is, of course, uh, and that, that is that everybody should know, is to generate good risk-adjusted performance for for our clients. And I think there, uh, our our philosophy is to allocate capital to solution companies. I, I hope that that you have gotten from from the examples that we also used here. Yeah. Um, but then the third goal of the product is also to use engagement to influence companies in the right direction, and that can be higher transparency when it comes to climate data or it can be uh, about uh, about the strategy of the company many many different possibilities but there's also and this is kind of a little bit the the topic of this session there's a positive feedback loop from the engagement into the investment case analysis and it helps to increase our conviction in both directions potentially and i think um, also what what i would like to leave you with is that we need to keep the qualitative analysis at a high standard and have that human touch in terms of going through the 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 process with the company and not just rely on 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 purely external data of course we should use everything that we can get but in the end of the day we need to make a qualitative assessment um, and and draw the line in the sand what is what is kind of good and what is bad and i think that's what we try to do here in combination uh, both uh, michaela from the responsible investment team and and we in the in the fundamental equities team with our analysts and and the portfolio management team great thanks to both of you and and henning yeah it's a really good point that you know this internal proprietary rating model that we have really does add value and, and is really something uh, that Nordea does differently than a lot of other asset managers. So thank you for, for that. Next week, I have a very special guest for you once again. Um, this time it will be Dr. Asbjorn Troller Hansen. Many of you will know him. He is the head of uh, the Nordea multi-assets team. And that team today, they're running more than 100 billion euros in assets under management um, across various strategies. So uh, I will be talking all things multi-asset with Asbjorn, so don't miss that whatever you do. In the meantime, don't forget to visit nordia.lu where you'll find our Stay Alert microsite with all of the previous recordings. You'll find podcasts, Q&As um, and lots of links to, to information. So plenty there for you uh, in the meantime. I'll see you next Wednesday.